Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. It isn't an overstatement to say that the last month has truly been momentous, building on the election of a new UK Prime Minister by a narrow majority of Conservative members, the continuing economic and public service crisis in Britain, an escalating and dramatic land, sea and air war in Eastern Europe. We also bore witness to the end of the second Elizabethan era, as King Charles acceded to the throne of the United Kingdom and became the head of state for Wales and a whole raft of other countries across the globe overnight. Needless to say that the expected schedule of political activity, and yes, that does include podcasts, has been paused and is only now beginning to resume and refocus on the challenges ahead. So today we're going to take a look at the state of play and what we expect the future to hold in the world of politics and policy in Wales. Joining me, Matt Hexton, to do that this evening is Richard Martin. Hello, Rich. Good evening, Matt. And Kerry Davis. Hello, Kerry. Evening, chaps. So to start, we should probably address probably the biggest news story in, well, one of the biggest news stories in my lifetime, the death of Queen Elizabeth II, um, the fact that we have a new king, and probably most importantly for our listenership, a new Prince of Wales. Uh, Rich, what have you made of the last week and a half or so? I don't think there's anything that we can say that hasn't been said um, by a gazillion other uh, media sources, be they television, radio, podcasts, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Other than to say that from a Welsh perspective, I think that the institutions of Wales did themselves very proud over what must have been a very difficult circumstances. I've started writing a joke about what happens when you invite a monarch a Republican and a nationalist into the room. Um, and it ends with the Senate ceremony that we saw the other the other week. Um, I thought that Ellen Jones as the show with, she did a very good job, a very respectful job, but nevertheless a very good job of hosting the event, uh, which um, uh, the Senate uh, afforded its sort of motion of support um, and condolence to the new monarch uh, with genuine class. Um, the first minister, I think, I mean, I really would quite like to be challenged by somebody about this, but at the moment, I think there's very few people in UK politics who have the genuine statesmanness of Mark Drakeford. Uh, and I I thought, particularly as a devout Republican, he handled what must have been a very, very difficult circumstance, um, particularly gracefully, and not least after he just suffered uh, a summer of insults being thrown at him by the now Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. And... To be fair, I would say that the, although we'll likely see quite a lot of um, discussion from in Welsh public life about the future of the role of Prince of Wales um, and the way that that was announced, I think that the respect shown to Wales by the new monarch and his entourage was creditable uh, in the way that it could conceivably not have been. Um, and it's quite telling that King Charles, as he is now, had come on an official visit to Wales before the new Prime Minister had, which is quite quite telling uh, about how relations are on this island of ours. So, yeah, what a week. It, uh, it's been extraordinary. And I think we've also, and I'm, you know, I wonder if Kerry might have something to say this, we've also learned quite a lot about what real Wales and not uh, Welsh Twitter thinks about Wales's relationship with the monarchy and the institutions of state. What can you say, gents? It's been an incredibly full-on emotional 12 days. It's a really difficult position to be in because you've obviously got sympathy for the family and the the lady, the Queen Elizabeth, who's died at a, at a, a very good age. 
But if you're leaning towards those Republican side of things, everything else which has surrounded it all has been quite difficult to to watch. If you if you're looking if you're trying to agitate or campaign for societal change and you just see one of the key aspects of what you think needs to be changed embedded in, it, it's been a long twelve days. And my mum's told me off several times, so it, it is difficult. But you mentioned real whales, Rich, and I think I kind of engage with wheels, real whales quite a bit. I've got a very large family, not on the Twitter uh, political bubble in Wales. Many are monarchist, many are fully celebrating. And I just look at that kind of pool of people whose views and opinions I listen to and respect. I, I see that that side of Wales, which the polls show want the monarchy, support the Prince of Wales, and that is Wales at the moment. And, you know, as with indie Wales, if those who are campaigning to, to alter that have got a long and winding road ahead of them to win hearts and minds. And um, I think there are people now who are going to be pushing that. You know, we've got a coronation coming up, maybe an investiture, but I do think the discussions in Wales and probably the wider UK are just going to be beginning. And it was the fact that it was a funeral, which has really meant that those kind of debates and discussions were put to one side. That's that's really interesting, Terry. And I think actually what it has exposed is that there are a number of other countries that are more likely to become republics than Wales in the next few years. You've seen talk of the Labour parties in Australia and New Zealand considering a referendum on uh, the monarchy in the next few terms, but I don't think you'll see the Labour Party at a UK level anyway um, proposing anything of the sort. The one thing which has taken me by surprise, so nothing has surprised me about this, and that is the position of the Labour Party and a lot of uh, senior members, people I know, people in the public spotlight, who have been far more monarchist than I, I expected. And you mentioned our FM is a Republican, uh, a committed Republican, I think, from some of what he said. And he did handle everything with those kind of beliefs really well. But I was surprised at the wider Labour Party, Matt. I, I honestly thought they were uh, a Republican supporting a political party. But I believe I am totally wrong in that regard. I think you've got to create um, a distinction here, Kerry, between the average Labour member, although a lot, a lot of them are Republicans, there's also a significant amount of people in the Labour Party who are monarchists or, or particularly have been in favour of at least the former monarch, Queen Elizabeth II, and the position of the party in terms of policy. Now, the religion of socialism is the language of priorities. The idea that you don't want to, you've got, you've got to prioritise what you want to do when you're in government. A lot of people in the Labour Party don't want to potentially run the risk of not winning an election, not being able to put other uh, ideals into practice by going very heavy on the prospect of trying to have a referendum on the future of the monarchy in the UK. They don't see it as a worthwhile fight or a fight for now anyway. And if you notice during the 2019 general election, even though the Labour Party in that manifesto said that they would keep the monarchy, there were numerous questions to Jeremy Corbyn about his views on the monarchy and whether Labour would try and abolish the monarchy during a, a Labour government in, with him at the head. Obviously, that never happened. But I think that there's a feeling in the Labour Party, at least the top ranks of the Labour Party, 
that they need to appear to be as pro-monarchy as possible because there's an element of belief that to be pro-monarchy is to be pro-Britain, to be as British as possible. And I think that there's a concern in the Labour Party, uh, especially under its present leadership, that previous leaders of the Labour Party were not as comfortable with being British or proud of being British, of liking the country they are trying to run. So I think that is an awful lot of why the top brass of the Labour Party want to appear as pro-monarchy as possible. That, and I think the general mood in the country now, even if it's not pro-monarchy per se, was definitely respectful of Elizabeth and her reign and the public service she provided. And I think it would be bad a bad idea politically to have taken this opportunity to appear to be anti-monarchy, to, for, to, to be pro-Republican at this, at this point in time would have been a vote loser, I think. And you can see that this morning with Kay Burley asking uh, one, of the deputy, one of the shadow treasury ministers about whether it was disrespectful at the Labour conference in Liverpool next week for Labour for Republic to be holding a, a fringe event. Of course, the Labour Party has no power really at all about the fringe events that take place outside of the security zone at their conference. They can't stop that happening. But I think that even the slightest wink towards republicanism at this time would have, would have been horrific politically for the Labour Party. And that is, I just know, don't think the country's there at the minute. And I don't think the time to have that argument is after the death of the longest reigning monarch in the UK's history, because I just, I just don't think people are in the headspace to try and have that argument. And I, I don't think there's any space for an argument. And in terms of priority about an objective you want to address, uh, it, is, it is low down there. All I'm saying is I expected a party, which I saw was a socialist party, to be a little bit more anti-hereditary privilege. And that's not about getting rid of it, but I, I now no longer I no longer believe that the Labour Party, if re-elected to power, will have any kind of desire to even address the House of Lords. Well, it's not a time to debate it now. But I I I was like I say, I'm surprised that the Labour Party were in so overwhelmingly monarchist. I do think for what it's worth, if Labour got in, they would reform the House of Lords like they did when they got in 1997, albeit they didn't go far enough in reforming the House of Lords during that time. I just think you have to, in, in, when you're on the monarchy argument, you have to be able to delineate between the average Labour member and Keir Starmer, who thinks now is the absolute wrong time to be having this argument. Um, and I think even really, Mark Drakeford does too. I think all you need to know is that there isn't a single major political party anywhere on Britain that is explicitly campaigning for a republic at the moment. I say that in ignorance of what the Green position might be. Yeah, we are. That, are you up? That, oh, that, right. ma that major jibe hurts, Rich. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. You know, even parties like the SNP and Plaid Cymru, which you might expect to be visibly championing an alternative future outside of the United Kingdom, even though, though they want political change, evidently they're not campaigning on it because it is, uh, we've used the phrase probably inappropriately, uh, the uh, political third rail before. No one would want to touch this because you know, Labour would never want to touch it because it would be weaponised by the Conservative Party and Ply Cymru nor the SNP would want to touch it because it would be weaponised subsequently by the Labour Party against them in where they are head to head. So it is simply not something that uh, there is any political capital to be gained from campaigning on at the moment, other than, you know, 
should you be a Republican, you know, you would obviously wish your political alignments would would campaign on that basis. But there's no there's no votes to be won uh, by any great measure on that at the moment. So it's understandable that all of our political parties are um, avoiding it. But actually, you know, at the same time, you know, if you are someone that genuinely believes in the United Kingdom and that the United Kingdom is a force for good, I mean, why would you even consider that? I mean, frankly, there has been a greater sense of purpose about the United Kingdom over the last few years from those who genuinely believe in it as a, as a cause for good than has been for many years, certainly since, you know, well before 2016, arguably going back to the 2012 Olympics. So we have all learned an awful lot about our fellow islanders over the last uh, couple of weeks. And um, I, th I think ultimately, most people are now keen to move on, judging by, you know, the fact that my uh, my neighbour's builders worked all the way through the bank holiday uh, yesterday as I was doing some podcast editing uh, at home. The world is now starting to spin again for people here. And I think it won't be much long, much longer before the, the sort of difficult realities of lived experience. You know, people are having a difficult time across all across the island and the day to day politics perhaps is going to return probably with a bang as this week arrives. It's it's. Remarkable, isn't it, that our last episode was about the election of Liz Truss. And within two days, apart from slightly subpar speeches, you'd never know that she had won that leadership election because the news has just not been focusing on any of her proposals. I mean, apart from the £200 billion proposal she's about to make to cap energy bills, at an already oh, sorry, already unaffordable level, uh, and the news of significant tax cuts. Even I've seen today proposals for zones with zero tax when we've got a significant inflation crisis and fuel crisis and looming food security crisis. It's going to be a harsh winter, isn't it, Rich? You, on that, and on the question of anonymity, I mean, there's no doubt. Everyone knows whatever Liz Truss ends up being as prime minister. The one thing that we all kind of know about her already is that she's a pretty terrible personality to lead a country. She's not a particularly good communicator. She looks perpetually awkward when she's in front of other people or on the stage or in front of camera. So, you know, arguably the fact that she hasn't had to do a great deal of that, it perhaps might go in her favour, frankly. Um, and, you know, she is certainly somebody that has developed an agenda for the next two years that she anticipates being in office as a bare minimum. And you've mentioned there quite a lot of the interesting stuff about what might happen. I mean, one of the things that is, I think, particularly telling is that we haven't really noticed the fact that we have an, an anonymous prime minister in the United Kingdom, because Boris Johnson was pretty much anonymous from the moment that he sort of kind of stepped down as being prime minister, initiating the leadership contest in the first place. And he largely was spent more time on holiday or appeared to than spending time in number 10. But we do have, you know, very strong indications. And by the time most people listen to this podcast, some of those will have become more concrete um, about what to expect. And I think we in Wales will have a very interesting perception of what is being done um, or what will be done or announced over the coming days because there are three sort of key policy areas that we've heard Liz Truss put on a pedestal all of which have very interesting yeah, implications for Wales. The first one you mentioned there Matt the low tax zone or zero tax zones which are you know some people are referring it to being inspired by the Charter Cities program very interesting 
from a Welsh perspective, because they've all been, it has been announced that they will all be in England first. So this is very similar to the post-Brexit Freeport scheme that the previous Conservative administration led on, was all announced for England, and then there were negotiations with the other uh, nations about where they would be. Thanks to innovations in constitutional law recently, such as the Internal Market Act, that has very interesting implications for potential displacement of economic activity, because if you can be somewhere within this internal market where there is little or zero tax or zero regulation or various other things, why would you choose to locate yourself in Wales when you could move across the border to one of these English low tax zones? Interesting. I think big challenges ahead for Vaughan Gething as the economy minister about how the Welsh government interacts with the UK, England government on those issues. Um, the second one is on health. Liz Truss surprisingly made GPs part of her initial speech when she became prime minister and waiting list for GPs. And of course, any significant impact on specifically on funding for the NHS in England has repercussions for Wales. And finally, the price cap on uh, fuel. This is one of the things that has been discussed the most about her proposals and how you mentioned, Matt, it could be £200 billion. The interesting thing, actually, that it could be an awful lot less than that. And one of the sort of startling things that's literally happened in the last 24, 48 hours is the extraordinary drop off in the cost of wholesale gas. So we are now potentially seeing the kind of range for which this policy might cost going from hundreds of billions of pounds to potentially tens of billions of pounds, but perhaps even less than that. You know, conceivably, if uh, wholesale gas was to drop below the cost that it is now, then we'd actually see it not costing a penny for the Liz Truss uh, administration. So really interesting that. And again, one of the questions that we will come back to, and, you know, sure, this is on, you, listener, dear listener, you can be sure that this is on our podcast planner, Energy, energy costs and energy security for the people of Wales is something that we'll circle back to in the near future. I'm probably not as negative about Liz Truss as you two are. A lot of what comes through to me is that kind of tainted by that social media side. So I see it from that side. But as I think I said to you before, you know, you don't get to be prime minister by being a complete idiot. So I think there is something there. I don't think her speeches have been really that bad and I actually think the first PMQs which I think was just the day before the Queen died I, I actually thought she held her own and it wasn't really there weren't any real goals scored by the opposition I might be wrong I did listen to most of it but you know there's various things like you said Rich an awful lot of what governs British politics is driven by global events and I don't think we recognize that enough and if you know, the last 12 days, the big issue which has been missed by the mainstream media, really, is some pretty startling progress by the Ukrainian military in Ukraine, pushing back Russian forces. And, it, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure what will happen there, but if if Ukraine does manage to, to take the upper hand in that conflict, gas prices continue, you know, there's, there's every chance that it could be a different winter ahead than what we've been hearing about all summer. And despite the politics, I hope that's the case, because I think I've said to you before in one of the pods, I am worried that people who are very, very fearful of putting their heating on will be in a really bad place this winter. So I really want the outcome, whether it benefits Liz Truss or not, to be that those energy issues and the cost of living crisis are 
addressed by global issues working in her favour more than anything else. Because, again, that's what we really need to be focusing on, those people who won't be able to afford food, energy, all of those side of things, and rather than the political... What's the really posh word I'm trying to think of? Um, begins with M. Machinations, is that what you're after? I knew you'd know it. You're brilliant. <laughs> I think the, the one thing I don't want, though, is for political circumstances to conspire to mean that we don't solve any of the systemic or structural issues that have led us to this place to begin with. I don't want for a sudden decrease in the cost of gas and oil to mean that we don't invest really heavily in green and renewable sources of energy. We all want a comfortable winter for as many people as is physically possible for everybody. But I am really concerned and politicians have a horrific habit of being short-termist that if there's a short-term win, we leave ourselves massively open to a long-term loss again. I'm just, I'm just trying to put forward a view that Liz Truss as a new prime minister may have more of a kind of favourable bounce should global machinations, it's a good word that, bounce in her favour, as it were. And, you know, if that does happen, I'd welcome that. Today she was being interviewed by Beth Rigby, and this is about paying for this um, cap, which, as Rich said, may now not even be in the sort of realms of the figures you were thinking of before. But obviously she, she doesn't want to um, pay for it with a windfall tax. What I do find interesting is that she is proposing significant amounts of borrowing to pay for all this. I mean, people on the left have been arguing for increased borrowing in times of crisis for a long time and you know being criticized as being economically irresponsible as a consequence and i just find it very interesting that it's absolutely okay for someone on the right of politics to say that but if someone on the left said it they'd be asked exactly where they were getting their money and how they pay it back i'm very interested by that you know, you've covered an awful lot of territory there. And, you know, we're, we're doing a very kind of broad brush kind of response to this because of various things. You know, we haven't been able to get into any of the deep kind of deeper kind of policy aspects or the politics aspects because they are equally important in many ways. I think the one thing that I would observe this, I, you just to go back to what you said earlier, Kerry, I do think Liz Truss has worked incredibly hard at improving her delivery. And I would agree that when she first stood uh, for Prime Minister's question, she was actually quite good but she's also detectably not a natural at it and she's got there because she's worked really hard at it um, and she has been blessed in a way by being confronted with a relatively weak opposition if she was facing a tougher um, more able opposition she would perhaps pale but that will play out over time I think on the economic front the big question is she has potentially a maximum of two years to convince the people of the United Kingdom to re-elect her, she has to gamble. Uh, and what she is proposing with the economic interventions, the tax cuts funded by debt, is a gamble. No one knows if it will pay off, but the ultimately the result of that gamble will determine not only the result of the next election, but as you've quite rightly highlighted, the well-being for huge numbers of um, people who live here um, and will have to live with the consequences of those policies for a long time. You know, I think you know, the period of the Johnson administration, 
everything felt somewhat rudderless. I think it's probably a fair comment. You know, there were lots of there was lots of big talk, lots of big speeches, lots of slightly tenuous classical references, but not a lot of action. And what we have here is a prime minister who very clearly understands and a chancellor that they have a potentially very limited window to do a lot of stuff. So it will be a an interesting time to observe, um, as we do here at Herait, what is happening, and particularly, obviously, viewing it from the Welsh perspective. So. I like it. I'm going to perform a handbrake turn here and try and double down on that Welsh perspective to just say that it, about Wales now, aren't you? Yeah, I'm going to make you talk about Wales. So <laughs> that's what we're here to do. So obviously, the parliamentary session is is resuming now in Westminster, and there, you know, while not all of what happens there is applies to Wales directly, some of it does, but more specifically, our Parliament here in Wales um, starts up again this week. And what have we learned so far? Mr. Hexter, over to you. In the day of the Senate we've had so far, uh, it was very interesting, the Welsh Government leading very heavily on its announcement that it was going to introduce legislations, uh, legislation to ban certain single-use plastics, very popular legislation, albeit with some concerns from disability campaigns, etc., over the banning of plastic straws. There's also the consultation launched for the tourism levy, the tourism tax, um, as it is called as well as a heap of data if you're interested in this there's absolutely loads of data that's been released by the welsh government today in relating to the potential financial impacts of the tourism tax as well as modeling of, of what it could potentially look like very interesting not enough time for us here to go into it all but but certainly worth a look if you're interested in that and whether you think your local authority should be introducing it or whether you're opposed to the tax noticeable matt that uh, mayor little morgan labor council have already said they're not going to be introducing it they did their research and analysis on the published uh, financial case from Welsh Government very, very quickly to come up with that response and position. Also, there was a concerted effort from Adam Price today, FMQs, to push Labour to go further on tackling the cost of living crisis. The questions that Adam Price levelled at the First Minister today primarily related to additional public spending on uh, cutting rail fares and capping bus fares. This exposed quite a strong disagreement between the two. Mark Drakeford uh, criticising Adam Price for saying that Plyde always want to spend more. I think, you know, in his dream world, Mark Drakeford would spend more. But given that the Welsh government are already themselves experiencing quite significant financial pressures because their cost of operating has gone up as well, like individuals, like businesses, they're already overspending their capital budget by £100 million on that didn't we see rebecca evans and along with the finance ministers of scots and northern irish not northern irish governments but the uh, northern irish executive. yeah but they're not sitting at the moment so yeah, whichever yeah, yeah. civil servant is responsible yeah. for it haven't we seen them all co-sign a letter to the chancellor to say that they are going to need some kind of uplift because of the effects of inflation on their budgets is, is that something that's already happened uh, yeah I, that that letter has gone out i mean it's very interesting to see whether there will be a significant amount of bonnet consequentials that come from the UK government in the way that they tackle the cost of living crisis, whether that be for individuals or for businesses. One of Liz Truss's promises is to get rid of the uh, insur national insurance uplift, which would have benefited the, well, which would have given a bonnet consequential to Wales and would have possibly helped fund the NHS and social care sectors, or not, because that's how bonnet consequentials work. But it is very interesting to see 
what the financial settlement will be like for Wales if if Trust is determined to keep slashing taxes and, and probably really in the long term slash public spending again. Yeah, going back to FQs just briefly, I think that it's it's an interesting tactical decision from Adam. I think that he's probably under pressure of internally in the party to to fight the Labour government from the left. Realistically, it, it just shows that the cooperation agreement was signed in a very different economic time. And although they have the two designated members in the Welsh government, it, it's not necessarily showing itself to be a living, breathing document that is readily changeable. So I think putting a bit of public pressure on Drakeford at FMQs is 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 kind of how he wants to try and, and play this now. I think you're all, you're going to see this later in the week as well because Play Camry are using their opposition debate to talk about again the cost of living crisis. He's going to again call for the halving of rail fares and the capping of bus fares. He's calling for support to clear council tax arrears, to freeze rents, to ban winter evictions, to expand preschool meals to secondary school children, increasing EMA to the £45 a week that the Bevan Foundation and friend of the pod, Luke Fletcher, has called for. But again, without some additional funding for the Welsh Government, it's it's going to be really hard and they are already over their budget. So as Mark Drake had said, if you're asking me to spend here, please tell me which public service you want me to cut in order to pay for it. I mean, some people will say, oh, fine, okay. Why are you giving lots of money to foreign companies to invest in Wales? Why are you paying for X, Y, and Z? Well, you should be focusing on public services. And again, it's, it's, these are decisions, these are tough decisions governments make. You know, they always say to govern is to choose. You can make a very good argument. These are very good things to choose to spend money on, but we're not in Cate's Park making those, those calls, you know? Not yet, it's just a matter of time. So what about the um, Conservatives? Uh, what uh, have we heard from them? Because, of course, they've got a very tr- tricky balancing act to do because their party colleagues in London are pursuing a particular agenda. We have no indication as yet how close or how far the uh, Welsh Parliament group are from the Westminster Parliament d- direction of travel. And it would be very difficult for them to campaign on an issue in Wales that, that is not in line with their party colleagues um, down the M4. So what did we hear from Andrew R.T. Davis and team today? Well, I'll get on to Andrew, but I think it's very, it's very interesting leading in from what you were saying there, Rich, about Welsh Conservatives. And today, James Evans at FMQs asked about how Mark Drakeford would ensure they have a good working relationship between the UK government and the Welsh government. And in his answer, Mark Drakeford disclosed that Liz Truss is, as of yet, to ring him or Nicholas Sturgeon, you know, to talk through their priorities, etc. And he said that, to be fair, she's had a fairly interesting week, you know, very difficult week and a half, one where she wasn't expecting. But he did say that on the first day that Boris Johnson became Prime Minister, he called Mark Drakeford and Nicholas Sturgeon on the first day that Theresa May was elected. He rang the First Ministers of Wales and Scotland. And when David Cameron was elected, he rang the First Ministers of Wales and Scotland. He did say that he's had numerous discussions with Robert Buckland, the the Secretary of State for Wales. And I I think that Robert Buckland and Mark Drakeford are people that can have a good working relationship and have good, sensible conversations. Obviously, Liz Truss is in New York at the moment at the United Nations General Assembly. Maybe when she's back from that, they'll be able to have a call. I mean, the supplementary to that question, however, though, was my highlight of the day. Um, when Hugh Aranka Davis said that he hoped that when that eventual conversation did occur, uh, Mark Drakeford could explain to Liz Truss how uh, Wales is opposed to fracking. And uh, he said that Mark Drakeford should use uh, 
should paraphrase a former Conservative leader and uh, say that you frack if you want to, but Wales is not for fracking. Hugh Rank Davis, my line of the day. Um, going on to the majority of what Welsh Conservatives were concerned about, it's, it's, the, it's the NHS. Sorry to take that levity from that, that great uh, line from Hid and then talked a very serious issue, but I'm going to. Uh, it's the NHS. Whether that's the state of waiting lists or ambulance waiting times or uh, concerns over the centralisation of certain services of Welsh air ambulance. So there are a number of areas of concern, and I don't think that's limited to Welsh Conservatives, about how the NHS is going to perform this winter. You know, we're already feeling the first chills of autumn, but without serious, serious investment, and you hope maybe some barnet consequentials as a consequence of what the UK government are planning to do, I think it could be a very, very difficult winter for the Welsh NHS. Yeah, and we're bound to see uh, the new Deputy Prime Minister, Theresa Coffey, uh, in her role as Secretary of State for Health for England, of course, um, make, uh, I think they, they have a considerable announcement scheduled for later this week. Um, you know, everything that the Welsh Government can spend on is predicated on what the UK Government spends with regards to England, and that will no doubt become something on uh, that we will uh, return to. And I think, you know, we have talked here on the pod around the matter of health but given how poor some health boards were performing before the pandemic I think it would be not unfair to expect them to be in quite considerable uh, difficulties uh, as we come out the other side of the pandemic. Um, on the new Welsh Secretary I mean continuing debate about how much value that role has um, in the context of intergovernmental relations between Welsh Scottish uh, UK slash England and Northern Ireland governments. Uh, appointment of Robert Buckland, uh, not unexpected, but quite positive? Question mark, question mark. Um, what do we think? Yeah, I can't help but agree, Rich. I think that he has held a number of very senior jobs in the UK government. And um, from what I understand, has a good working relationship with Mark Drakeford. I mean, I don't think we should expect there to be a great deal of change uh, in the policies that uh, the UK government are proposing in relation to Wales, but I do think that we might have a better, there may be a better working relationship between the Welsh government and the UK government, in, at least in those terms, because I, I think that for his many qualities, Simon Hart did enjoy winding people up a little bit, especially those people in the Welsh government, and would would relish the opportunity to to do so whenever he could in either Westminster or Senedd committee hearings, etc. So I, I I think there'll be a better quality of conversation between those governments. Perhaps more of a straight bat from Robert Buckland. Um, um, and just to head towards the horizon, this is a slightly uh, staccato start to the new Senate term, parliamentary term in Westminster. Certainly not how we anticipated the third season of Hiraith kicking off after our pods with um, Will Hayward and Di Moon. You know, if we were to pick one thing to watch chaps as we get around the table that we would encourage our listeners to keep eyes and ears on um, over the coming weeks and months what would it be as optimistic as you are rich i think the cost of living crisis it is is unavoidable as a as a headline issue whether you are conservative labor or applied that's going to be at the forefront of your mind with your either with your constituents or with businesses in your constituency and I, I think without some serious change in the headwinds, that's going to be really horrible for, for everybody involved. Kerry, 
Well, following on from our Danny Blanchflower pod, and Danny is now one of my even bigger heroes than he was before, uh, on social media, follow Danny and see what he's saying. And it is, as said, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it is that fiscal issues that Danny picks up on. The interest rates, the state of the pound is some really well-respected economists such as Danny the level of the pound against the dollar is now beginning to really drive concern, I think, in certain quarters. Um, and it's how that's going to be addressed, how that plays out, and then what the consequences of that will be. So I think the mini budget would do this week. And then the other fiscal statements due later in the year, how the Bank of England, the NPC, reacts, what they put in place. So that's what I'm looking at this year i suppose it goes back to my earlier comment but it's those global headwinds and issues which can impact the uk and you know if we get some kind of run on the pound what does that mean in the 21st century rich um you've been very nice and asked us that question what do you think well, obviously, you know, I appreciate there's a cost of living crisis and a potential healthcare crisis and various other things. But, you know, the, I'm sure that most of our listeners are, like me, most concerned about the status of Aaron Ramsey's hamstrings uh, as we head towards the World Cup. No, I'm, you ben know, Davis, Joe Allen, also injured. <laughs> Terrifying. Yeah, that is the real uh, healthcare waiting list that I am. Keep, no, no, I'm joking. Uh, the, I, I do have Aaron Ramsey as a swap on the stickers, if you want, boys. Never. I bought my Panini sticker, right? A sticker album. I, I'm tempted to get them under the trade description app because it's not a sticker album, is it? So you have to glue them in. Old school. No, you've got the wrong book. You do stick the sticker album ones in. What, what have I bought then? I think you bought the play it, the card one, which you put in. I don't know. I haven't got it. I've got the sticker album. Well, if anyone's going to swap these, you know, you know who's collecting here in the, in the team here, right? And it's nice to be back, isn't it? A bit of an unscheduled break um, as we all down tools to see what, what was happening in the UK for a while. There was a kind of collective, lots of stuff happening and, you know, we're now back. It's good. Well, uh, thank you to Rich and Kerry. Uh, if you want to hear more from Rich, where can you go on Twitter? Yes, you can go on Twitter, of course, at Mimosa Cymru. Kerry, where can they go to find you on Twitter? At Kerry the Viking, Matt. Thank Wonderful. you. I am at Hexter101, H-E-X-T-E-R101. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard this evening, please don't forget to go to Twitter and Facebook and find us at Pod. If you like supporting us uh, with your ears, you can do so with your wallet. Please go to www.patreon.com forward slash Pod. And to find out more about what we're doing and who we are, please go to www.walespolitics.com. Thank you for listening to Hereith. If you like what you heard, Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.